open my heart to hear from you, to receive from you, and to act upon what you say to me. Thank you, God, that you're a hearing, speaking, living God. Janine, we receive you of God's mouthpiece, of his spirit to us this morning. Thank you. That's mine. You know, it's so funny. I'm sitting on the front row, and I can hear this little voice behind me going, Hello, Scott. And I'm like, Esteen is back in the house. <laughs> She's the one person. And I just want to honor you, Esteen. You love people so well. I mean, if there's anyone who knows how to connect people, it's this woman. She really, really does. And I've just been so blessed by her, her and I've really missed you. And it's just so good to have you back here again. So we love you, Esteen. And guys, I want to honor all of you for making it through the, the weather and the storm. I always think that people who push through to come and be part of worship and hear the word, um, yeah, there's a blessing in store for you. So I'm excited. So for you of you who are visitors and, and don't know, I'm just going to share that this year we as a church are really focusing on a scripture from 2 Peter 3 verse 11, which says, what sort of people ought we to be? And that's what we really, we want to talk about people, you know, what kind of people does he want us to be? What kind of, how can we love people well? And as I was praying about this and asking the Father, what would you want me to share this morning? There's two words that just kept coming up, and it was legacy and generations. And so I was like, okay, I'm excited, God, what do you want me to share? And you know, I think it's really fun when we look at the Bible and we get examples of maybe how we ought not to behave. It kind of makes me feel like, you know, we're human and sometimes we just don't get it right. And so I wanted to share a very quick story before we really delve in um, about a king, King Hezekiah. You read about him in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 20. And the deal is this, Hezekiah is sick and he's near death. And um, the prophet Isaiah comes and he says, to, he says to Hezekiah, you know what, you really need to set your house in order because you're not going to live. And obviously this isn't great news to receive and Hezekiah is devastated and he falls on his knees and he's crying and he's saying, Lord, please heal me, save my life. And so the Lord hears his cry and the Lord says to um, Isaiah, actually, you need to go back and say, I changed my mind. I love that about God. You know, I, I'm so glad that God speaks to us directly because these poor prophets, they sometimes are so back and forth, back and forth. But anyway, he goes and he says to Hezekiah, you know what? God's heard your, he's seen your tears and um, he's going to heal you and you're not going to die. And because he's going to do this, he's going to give you a miraculous sign He's actually going to move the, 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 um, the sundial. It's going to go back 10 degrees, which actually means that God is going to take the sun and he's going to move it backwards. I mean, God is just amazing, isn't he? So this is all going on, and, um, and in the end, Hezekiah gets healed. But in the meantime, the king of Babylon gets word of what's going on, and he thinks, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send a get well card, and I'm going to send a present, but because there's no royal mail, I'm going to send a Babylonian envoy, and they're going to deliver it to Hezekiah, which happens. And so these guys turn up um, to, to give Hezekiah this present, and in this moment, Hezekiah is feeling pretty awesome about himself. 
You know what he's, God's heard his cry, he's been healed, he's got 15 years added to his life, and not only that, I've had this crazy miraculous sign that's never happened in history before. He's feeling pretty good. And I honestly think in that moment, the spirit of stupidity descends upon Hezekiah because what he does is he welcomes this Babylonian envoy in and he says, you know, I just want to show you everything in my kingdom. These are my, my spices and these are, this is my treasury and this is my armor and my whole armory and this is everything I have. It says in the Bible, he, there was nothing that he hid from these guys. It's as if the KGB went and visited the CIA and they said, you know, why don't you just come on in and we're just going to show you all our top secrets. That's pretty much what he's doing. And so, you know, this, this doesn't really impress the Lord. And so he goes and he says to Isaiah, you know what, you need to send another message. So Isaiah comes along and he says to Hezekiah, you've been a bit foolish. And because of that, everything is going to be okay with you in your day. But in generations to come, your kingdom will be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And the thing that I want to hone in on is that Hezekiah's response, I believe, was short-sighted. Because he said, you know what, as long as it's good with me, as long as it's, I'm okay and I'm healed and I'm good, that's all right. I'm okay with that. And I believe in that moment, he didn't align his life, he didn't align his heart with God's generational dream for him. It was a really short-sighted attitude. Now we're going to look at someone who did. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we just declare this morning that your word is truth. We just declare that one portion of the truth of your word can literally change a person's life in a moment. And Father, I just want to pray over every single person that is sitting here this morning that there's going to be legacy that is going to be birthed from their lives, that is going to ignite for generations to come. And I want to speak blessing and favor and grace over generations. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to turn with me to Genesis 49, verse 29, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It should be up behind me. So this, just to to set the scene, Jacob, who is um, one of the fathers of the faith, he's gathered his 12 sons because he's got something really important to say to them. And this is what he says. Then he charged them and he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Gathered to my people is a euphemism for I'm about to kick the bucket, I'm about to die, I'm about to curl up my toes and meet Jesus face to face. That's pretty much what he's saying. Then he goes on to say, bury, with my, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. Now, if you don't have much understanding of biblical history, um, you might have heard these names before. You know, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, these are what we call patriarchs of the faith, mothers and fathers of the faith. Some of you may have have, um, heard the song, Father Abraham had many sons. I'm not going to sing it for you. If I had to sing Oceans, you'd all drown. And that's why we have a worship team. But what you can get from reading this portion of scripture is that this 
is an important place. This is a place of honor and prominence, prominence this, this burial plant. And he's saying this is where these people were buried. And then he goes on to say, and there I buried Leah. And some of you might be saying, oh, what's the big deal? Janine Leah was his wife. Sarah was Abraham's. Rebecca was Isaac's. Until you know the backstory of what is really happening here. And that's what I want to focus on today. So this portion of scripture really just ends off where Jacob had finished commanding his sons. He drew up his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and he was indeed gathered to his people. So some of you may have heard this story before. You're quite familiar with it. Some of you may have never heard it before. But often when you read the word of God, you can get fresh and new revelation. And I feel like he's going to show us something about legacy and generation through the this, this story. So this is the deal. Jacob is a young man. And um, he's a young man and he's looking for a wife. And the word of God says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, when I was about 19, James was 22, we were engaged, and we were attending a church formerly known as Varsity Church. And um, at the time, there were a couple of young guys who were traveling from up north down here every Sunday for the morning service. And as some of you who know me, I'm quite curious, and eventually I couldn't hold myself back anymore. And so I went to these guys, and I'm like, what's the deal? Like, you come in every Sunday, but you live up north. What's going on? So they said to me, well, Janine, you see, the thing is, we read the word of God, and it said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And we couldn't find any up north, so we thought we'd try down here. <laughs> so, now, you know what? If my memory is correct, and I'm sure if I'm incorrect on this, Nigel will correct me later on, because he's good with this kind of stuff. Um, but one of them actually did meet a girl here, and they got married. I'm not sure what happened to the other poor fellow, but anyway. Back to Jacob. Jacob was looking for a wife, and he saw this young woman. Her name was Rachel. And the Bible says she was a total babe. That's the Wayne's World translation. But what the Bible really said is she was beautiful in appearance and form. Beautiful in appearance and form. This is Bible words, guys, not my words. That's what it said. And he declared something like, she will be mine. And so, as was custom in those days, he went to go and speak to her father to ask for her hand in marriage. And um, her father, Laban, it was quite a devious man. And so he started concocting this plan, and he said to Jacob, well, you know, you can have her, but you have to work seven years for her, for me. You have to work for her. Now, <clears throat> guys, let me just say this. This would separate the men from the boys. Like, I remember when James asked my dad for my hand in marriage, and um, those of you who know my dad, he's got quite a dry sense of humor, and so I was like witness to the scene. James asked my dad, and so my dad says, well, James, you see, the thing is, we come from Africa. And in South Africa, you know, there's a thing called uh, labola, which means you have to pay a dowry. So if you want Janine, like in Africa, it would be cows, you see. But now, if I had to work out Janine is worth X amounts of cows, you know, I should really have been listening as to how many cows I was, I was worth. But I was so focused on James's pale face, he looked so ill, that I forgot about that. And... Um, and so my dad goes, so you see what? If we transfer that into pounds, then Janina's worth this amount of money, and that's how much you're going to have to pay in order to get her. And, you know, I'm looking on, I'm thinking, this poor guy, he doesn't know my dad. Fortunately, 
my dad, you know, gave, you know, gave my hand in marriage, you know, he was just all joking. But this is a similar situation. You know, this would separate the men from the boys. I mean, here's, yeah, you can have her, but you've got to work for seven years. I can imagine the thought process. Yeah, she's so fine, she's so beautiful, but seven years, oh, I don't know. But Jacob obviously thought she was worth the time. And so, um, fast forward, the wedding night comes, and because this is a family service, I'm going to be discreet. The tent is dark. The veil is over her face. The marriage is consummated. The next morning comes. The tent is light. The veil is removed. Jacob turns around to give his wife a good morning kiss, and it's like, <gasps> it's not Rachel. Devious dad has done a switch overnight, and he's put her sister Leah in her place. Now, as much as the Bible amplifies um, Rachel's beauty, it is very underwhelming when it comes to Leah. The most that the Word of God could muster up about Leah was she had dim or dull eyes. Beautiful in appearance and form, dim or dull eyes. It's not a great. It's not great. Now remember, the one he loved was Rachel. The one he did not love was Leah. He, the actual Bible says he did not love her. But here, we've just read in Scripture that he buried Leah in a place of prom, honor and prominence alongside the patriarchs of the faith. So something's going on here. And we're going to find out what. So let's go back to Jacob. He works another seven years. Um, he kind of, you know, Laban says, well, if you really want to, you've got to work another seven years. So he gets a kind of two-for-one kind of deal. We don't have time to get into the whole polygamy thing. If you've got any questions about that afterwards, you can ask James. He'll be, he'll be very happy to answer all of that. But here's the deal. He loves Rachel. Laughing, giggling sort of stuff going on in this tent. And the only sounds you can hear in Leah's tent are the sounds of the racking tears of a rejected young woman who felt that she was unloved, unlovely, and wondering, was her life going to count for anything? Night after night, tormenting, brokenheartedness. And some of you may have been there where your insecurities overwhelm you and you feel like you're just not good enough. You know, sometimes life, you know, we just get handed a card and we, we just don't know how to deal with it. You know, recently I, um, I was away last year in November. I went on a retreat. Um, it wasn't a Christian thing. Um, and I met a woman. She was beautiful. And I started having a conversation with her and I started asking her some questions. And this is her story. She was born in the 60s. Um, at the time, there was a German pharmaceutical company who had developed a drug called plimidoride, which they um, would give to women who were pregnant, who really struggled with morning sickness. And so my friend's mother was one of these women, and because she was a businesswoman and she had horrendous morning sickness, she, had, she took a lot of this pill. What they later discovered, that every single baby that was born to mothers who were given this, this, this drug, they were born with severe disformities. So my friend 
She, she has no arms. Her hands literally come out of the top of where her shoulders are. And she tells the story, and this is what she says. You know, Janine, when I was born, the medical staff were horrified. My mother, who had been adopted, she was an orphan, had webbed fingers, and so she just thought it was her fault. And my father came to visit, and again, horrified to see his daughter was born with such deformities. He was traveling home that night. He's sitting on the bus, and he's thinking, this is her father's thought process. There's no way, there's no way my daughter's going to survive in this world. The best thing I can do for my daughter is when I go back to visit tomorrow, I'll just put a pillow over her head, and I'll kill her. That's her father's thoughts. And then all of a sudden, he heard this drag and a thump, and a drag and a thump. And he looked up, and he saw this beautiful girl, beautiful woman, but she had a club foot. And in that moment, he knew that his daughter would live, she'd be beautiful, and she'd have an amazing life. And he made an intentional decision to love her unconditionally. Now, when I'm talking to this woman, there's no sense of her being a victim. She's not sitting there bitter and twisted because she was born this way. She's one of the most joyous, wonderful, happy people I've ever met. It puts some Christians to shame, to be honest. And you know what she said? Janine, I've had an amazing life. I met my husband when I was young. We've, they've got two beautiful, healthy girls. And I've traveled the world encouraging people who were born like this to, to, to speak life into them. You know, in that moment, she has shifted her heart, and she has decided to live her life well. And as we, we get into the story, the story we're going to learn about what Leah did inside her heart, what she did. And we're going to lean in and hear about God's heart. So back to the story. Leah did what she could do. Rachel was barren at the time. She couldn't have children, but Leah could, so she started giving Jacob kids. Her first son's name was Reuben. Her second son was Simeon. Her third was Levi. And her fourth was Judah. Now, with the first three, it's as if she's trying to make a deal with God. Let me explain. You see, names mean a big deal. They carry weight. They carry meaning. Names and their nature mean something. You know, I looked up at the, um, these days, people really call their kids some interesting names, things like Northwest, Pixie Dust, Pilot Inspector. Like, there's just, there really are some interesting names out there. Now, when James and I named our children, we were so intentional because we really feel that as you name your kids, you are prophesying over them. So, my eldest son, Ethan, he just turned 21 recently. Ethan means firm and steadfast. Now, anyone here who's ever got into a heated discussion with my son will encounter that part of his personality. And I can honestly say we love that about him because he's very um, convinced on what he believes. And we honor and respect that in him. My middle son, Finn, Finley means sunbeam. His middle name is bringer of light. Now, Finn is my one child who's got the happiest disposition. When he was a little boy, I used to walk into his room, and every morning he used to stand up and say, Happy day, mommy. Happy day. That's my boy. <laughs> He's putting the thing over his head over there. I can see him. 
They always get embarrassed when I mention him. Katie Grace, my little girl. Katie is pure. Grace, pure grace was such a revelation I had when I was pregnant with her. So when I name my daughter and I call her every day, I am prophesying over her that she's going to be a woman of purity and she's going to walk in the unforced rhythms of God's grace. That's what we believe. And so when you look at how these, these, these boys have been named, oh, thanks, hon. My hands get so cold when I'm up here. This is just hot water to warm my hands up. <laughs> he knows me. So let's look at the names. If you think about Reuben, behold a son. Simeon means God hears. Levi means attached. And it's like she's saying to God, God, I gave the dude a son. Will he love me now? God, can't you hear me? I've given him another son. God, will he be attached to me now? I gave him a third son. And then with Judah, it's like she gives up. She just, she just says, you know what? It's okay. Because Judah means I will praise God anyway. And you know, I really feel that there are some people here who you're trying to make a deal with God. You're trying to twist his arm and he's saying this morning to you, will you praise me anyway? Will you worship me through it? We've all been there where circumstances look dire or you've messed up so bad that you begin to believe this lie that there's, there's no future for you. And you need to hear this this morning. Your generational future can never be dictated to you by the mistakes of your past. Your generational future can never be dictated to by the mistakes of your past. If you commit and submit those to the Lord, you have got an incredible generational future ahead of you. So let's get back to the story. Leah has four boys. Rachel's looking on, and she's still barren. And she kind of gets this idea of her own. So cold. Gets this idea of her own. She has a handmaiden called Bilhah. Now, this is when the story gets a little bit crazy, so hold on. So she kind of says to Jacob, you know what? Why don't you and Bilhah get together, have a couple of kids of your own, and we'll just, we'll just call them ours. You know, you don't need TV dramas, guys. You just have to read the Word of God. Genesis 29 and 30, it's all there. And so, um, so Jacob is like, I guess I don't have to pray about that. So he gets together with Bilhah, and um, they have a couple of kids, um, and they call them Dan and Naftali. And Leah's looking on, and she, she has a, a moment, and she's probably thinking, you know, I need a bit of a, my womb needs a sabbatical break. And so she says to Jacob, you know, yeah, I've got this handmaiden called Zilpah. Why don't you guys get together? I mean, this is a good year for Jacob. And, um, and they have a couple of more boys, and they call them Ezekiah and Zebulun. And Rachel is still barren. And then finally... God opens uh, Rachel's womb, and she has two boys called Joseph and Benjamin. And that completes the team, the 12 sons of Jacob, which we read about in Genesis 49, which then go on to be the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Now, here is what I love about Leah. Because it said, there I buried Leah. Something happened. What we don't know is the story is silent about when Leah gets the nod from Jacob. When all of a sudden he realizes that the internal beauty of Leah's heart far outweighs the external beauty that Rachel possesses. Because there I buried Leah in a place of prominence and honor. Rachel was, died in childbirth and she was buried somewhere else. Leah did not quit. She did not give up. She pushed through. She invested in things that were going to outlive her. She persisted with God's generational dream. She did not give up. She did not cop out. She persevered. And thank God she did. And I'm going to explain why. She had Levi. That was her third son. Now, Moses was a Levite. So, no Levi, no Moses, no Aaron, no Miriam, no first five books of the Bible, no Ten Commandments, no Exodus from Egypt. Can somebody say thank God for Leah? Okay. That was Leah. She could have pulled back. She could have allowed rejection to affect her heart. And let me explain this, because you see... In those days, as, as the custom was, there was no way she could have refused her husband. But she could have allowed bitterness, rejection, offense, and forgiveness to come into her heart. But she didn't. You see, the Word of God says, the heart is deceitful above all things, that he knows the hidden sins lurking in our hearts. But she positioned her heart in a way that, that really got God's attention. And I don't know about you, I believe that it happened when she had Judah. And she made that decision to praise God anyway. Something happened in her heart. Now, as I continue explaining this to you, I know some of you might say, but you know what, Janine? The word of God is inspired by God. The word is inspired by God, and you know, men wrote it and, and, and all of that. I understand all of that. But as I unpack this, I want us to look at this from a generational legacy perspective. Because there's more. And I want us to see that when we align our hearts and when we align our lives to God's dream, his, his purposes for our life, then nothing is impossible. Because look what he does through Leah. Back to Leah, there's more. She gave birth to Judah, who was her fourth son. The lineage of Judah is responsible for Boaz, Jesse, David, Solomon. Interestingly, it says David, this is what the Word of God says about David, David fulfilled the purposes of God for his generation by having a surrendered heart. I wonder where he got that from. Great, 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 Granny Leah. So, Judah, responsible for, where was I? Jesse, Boaz, David, Solomon. So, most, most of the kings in the Old Testament also come from the lineage of Judah. If you take them out, there's no Psalms, no Proverbs, no Ecclesiastes, no Song of Solomon. I mean, what would the men do? Can somebody say, thank God for Leah? Let's get back to Judah. No Judah, no joy to the world. 
No Christmas. Nazareth was in the land of Zebulun. Not even a town to grow up in. No Joseph, no Mary, no Jesus. Thank God for Leah. Not only that, but Paul, the apostle Paul, was a Benjamite. Benjamin was born to Rachel. It was the last child born to Rachel. She died at childbirth. So whose knee do we think that Benjamin was raised on? Leah. No Leah, no knee for Benjamin, maybe no Apostle Paul, maybe no half of the, the, the New Testament. Do you know that you're that young woman who lay weeping, understanding overwhelmingly at times that she was unloved, unlovely, and wondering, is her life going to count for anything? That same young woman was responsible for, for the writing of 33 of the books of the Bible that you and I honor and read today. But there's more. You see, the gates that we, in, of heaven we read about in Revelations 21 verse 12, they're made from a precious stone. One gate, one stone. Who knows what that stone is? Pearls. How are pearls made? Irritation. Thanks, Alan. He's, he's listening. One big pearl, one big irritation. If you handle well that one big chunk of irritation in your life, ladies, don't look at your husbands now, right now. Eyes straight ahead. If you handle well that big chunk of irritation in your life, and you consecrate to the Father, there's a pearl of great price in the outcome of that irritation coming your way. Now, these pearls in Revelation 21, verse 12, they're not naked pearls. In other words, they had something written on them. As you walk through the gates of heaven and you look up at one of those massive pearls, you will see that every one of those pearls has one name. It carries one name on them, and each one has a different name. One pearl, one name of the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen to this. That young woman who lay in her tent feeling unloved, unlovely, and wondering, is my life going to count for anything? As you and I walk through the gates of heaven and you look up, there is a 50% chance you are going to read the name of one of the sons of that same girl, Leah. Legacy. Legacy. Do not cut short the assessment of your eternal destiny and your generational impact because God is not finished with you yet. Do not cut short the assessment of your eternal destiny and your generational impact because God is not finished with you yet. And you know, some of you might be saying right now, but you know what, Janine, we don't have children. Or I might never get married, I don't have any kids. So what? Neither did Jesus or the disciples, or Mother Teresa, or Jackie Pollinger. James and I have three natural children that were born to us, but we have many, many spiritual children all around the world. You have no idea how much your life can impact people. We got a phone call a couple of years ago. James got a phone call from a mutual friend of ours in South Africa who had gone to a funeral of a young guy who was a drummer who had tragically died in an accident. And this mutual friend of ours called to say that James's name was mentioned at the funeral. 
which absolutely flabbergasted us because James could only remember having one conversation with this young drummer at a workshop, and it was about 10, 15 minutes. He can't even remember what he said, but something he said must have impacted this guy's life so much that he got mentioned at a funeral. We have no idea, just a smile or what we say, how much it can change a person's life. And there might be something that is happening in your life right now and you're beginning to realize that if you don't submit it to God, that it's going to have massive effects on the generational influence of your life. We all have to reach a point where we submit our pain, submit our disappointments, our relationships, our dreams, our lifestyle, our relationships to him. Are we willing to do it today? You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, we love to say that, that thing, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. In, in certain streams, we love to, to quote that, especially when it comes to healing. Well, you know, there's no sickness, and I believe this, I'm absolutely, there's no sickness in heaven, there can't be any sickness on earth. Um, and there's no lack in heaven, so we shouldn't as Christians struggle with lack on earth. But what about, we, we don't like this one because it makes us feel uncomfortable, what about forgiveness? What about offense? Can you imagine one day standing in eternity and worshiping the Lord and looking across and seeing someone you were offended with? That just wouldn't happen. Why do we put up with that kind of stuff here? We're brothers and sisters of Christ. We should love one another as he first loved us. You know, Dan talked about, um, last week he was talking about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. But that's Old Testament. It's Old Covenant. That's, that comes from Deuteronomy. The great thing, and Dan mentioned this as well, is that Jesus trumped that command. In John 15, verse 12 and 13, he said, This is a new commandment. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you would love one another because he has first loved us. Because you see, in any given day, with all my might and all my strength and all my mind, how could I possibly love him? What if I had to watch an episode of MasterChef? Is my mind not going to love him as much? What if I go out for a jog? I'm going to use some strength up, and then I can't love him with that bit of my strength? It's all about me. It's a meology thing, which we can adapt so much in this culture. But when we have this revelation of that we're unconditionally loved by the Father, that when I wake up in the morning, when I woke up this morning, despite me messing up yesterday, he will still use me. He will still use me to love other people. That when we have a revelation that in my mess, he is the safest place I can go to. And it's only when we have that revelation of how much we're loved by the Father in our mess can we really love the world in their mess. That's what it's all about. That's when we start thinking generationally. That's when we start thinking from a legacy perspective because we position our hearts to love, to love because we have been loved. And I really sense this morning, I sense an anticipation in the spirit realm that what awaits you on, another, on the other side of a sincere, intentional decision to say, God, I don't want to do it my way anymore. 
I don't want to just bump along the bottom spiritually. Or you might be here for the first time, and this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus. And you could begin the most incredible relationship you've ever had. And the Father's heart this morning is pumping with unconditional love for you. And it's simply a matter of uncomplicating things, of stepping into faith, turning your heart to him and saying, Abba, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. And here's the thing. There's no point hiding from God because he knows exactly where we're at. You know when you play hide and seek with a little kid and they go like this because they think that you can't see them? Sometimes we try and do that with God. And it doesn't mean we have to strive or use effort to come back in his presence. Just come as you are. It's going to be my absolute joy um, and pleasure to pray with you in a moment. For anyone here who's prepared to take the mask off and come from, from behind that facade and just say, you know what, Janine? How, how I need Jesus. Oh, how I need Jesus. I need to reconcile. My, my heart's been backslid. It's become dry. I've become so distracted. I just need Jesus again. And I promise you, if you, if you position your heart sincerely before you, something brand new can be birthed in you that will ignite for generations to come. If you could put a glass to the door and you could hear down the generations... I'm thinking of people represented here, you know, if, you, if I think of the Stennings and, and the, you know, the, the Smiths and, and the Porters, my, par- my parents-in-law are here today, and, and the Kinnars, and, you know, all of the people that are here, if you could listen down the door of generations to come and you could hear your great-great-grandkids thanking the Father for gramps and grandma granny and granddad who aligned their heart, who aligned their life with, with the dreams that the, the living God had for them. You know, on Friday, it was James's birthday. Yes, he's a Valentine's birthday boy. And mum and dad took us out for a meal. And we have a tradition in the Porter family that on every birthday, we read the birthday psalm over whoever's birthday it is. And our psalm, I'm just claiming it as ours, okay, so just, you can't take it. No, I'm only joking, as you can have um, It's Psalm 103. And as mum, we were in a restaurant, and mum was reading the psalm over us. One of the verses just stood out to me. It's verse 17. It says, your faithfulness, your faithfulness will keep every gracious promise you've made, which passes from parents to children to grandchildren and beyond. Wow. That's powerful. We can take the word of God and we can begin to declare it over our families. That the promises that he has made us, it's going to go from parents to children to grandchildren and beyond. We can align ourselves with what he has for us. I'd love the worship team to come up now. And while they're coming up, I want to say just a couple of things. Firstly, the Bible says that Jesus shed his blood on the cross, taking your sin and my sin. He nailed it to the cross so we could receive the Father's love, goodness, and favor. That there would be nothing that would separate us from his love. Nothing. And secondly, the Word of God also says that today is the day of salvation. Today, guys, today is the day of salvation. When you hear his voice, 
Don't harden your hearts. Don't diss him. But lean in and respond to him. If you just all close your eyes for a moment. I just want to give people their privacy. If you're saying right now, Janine, that resonates with my heart. That's where I'm at right now. That's me. I need Jesus. I want to pray with you in a moment. You want to acknowledge your need for him, either for the first time or you want to come back to that sweet spot where he he wants you to dwell. You're saying right now as I'm speaking, I just want to lay down the distractions. I want to lay down that pent-up stuff in my heart. If that's you right now, I really want to pray with you, not in a, a weird way, but and I won't get you to do anything you don't want to do. But I really would love to know who I'm praying for this morning. And if that is you, of all these things I've said that really resonates with you, could you confidently just raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I feel like there's some people here, you almost feel like your arm is like lead. And you, you, just, you just can't get it from your lap into the air. And I just, I just want to say it's okay. There's no shame. We're just family. We've all been there. I really sense there's a touch of the Spirit of God right now. That there are people here that are making a decision to turn 180 degrees and open up their their heart to God and His possibility. Either for the first time or again. Just keep your hands lifted up because I feel there's... I feel like it's more than one person. I feel like the word I keep hearing is disqualified. There's some people here just like, no, Janine, I'm disqualified. And I just want to tell you that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Nothing you have done will disqualify you. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are not disqualified. God wants to come and really meet with you this morning. Yeah, let's just give people one more moment. Hey, Life Church Bath, no golf claps here. These person, these people, can we just give these people a round of applause? They've made an incredible decision. And if you if you are close to these guys, could you just lay hands on them if they're happy to do that? I'm gonna pray. And you know what would be really great in support of these people who've raised their hands, if you could all pray with me. So let's just close our eyes. say after me, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now in the name of your Son. I acknowledge my need of you, and my heart is full of gratitude for all you have accomplished for me. So that I no longer want to do what I want to do, but I acknowledge what you have already done in my life. I receive your forgiveness right now. And with the help of your Holy Spirit, I want to live every day to please you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.